Um, thank you for coming this evening. My name's Ariana Estoke. I'm the Director of Adolescent and Adult Education here, and I help uh, with our adult and Israel uh, programming. So thank you for coming out this evening. We uh, are excited to share this film with you. We know it's going to spark a lot of discussion, and we welcome that. So the two experts on the film uh, are Howard Tater and Rabbi Stephen Pierce. So uh, I'm going to actually pass it over to Howard, whose uh, photographs are on display out in the reception room. The photographs go along with the film. So as you depart, take a moment to look at them. And if this film inspires you, our own Rabbi Jonathan Singer, our senior rabbi, is leading a trip this summer. He's in the back of the room. If you would like to go to Israel, uh, you can join him this summer at the end of June and beginning of July. It is all yours. Thank you. First of all, let me thank you all for having me here in your midst while it is 20 below zero in back home where, where we came from. We are, we are deeply grateful to all of you for accommodating us and getting us out of Chicago at, at just a, an ugly time. I, uh, and, and before I, I forget, I want to again, though I've said it to him a few times, thank Rabbi Pierce, Rabbi Singer, for allowing me, inviting me to come here to speak with you tonight. It's, um, it's, not, an, it's not an easy topic to, to discuss, but um, Rabbi Singer uh, uh, took a lot of courage, and I, and I use that word intentionally, to, to say yes, we need to have broad discussions, uh, and, and, I, and I salute him for it, as well as my dear friend, uh, Rabbi Pierce, who I've known for several years, who, um, whose friendship I, I cherish. And I also want to tell you that the person who really makes things go around here is Ariana. <laughs> she, she has just been amazing. On, on, um, on Saturday morning, we had a huge Shabbat service. I know in our congregation there. One of the, one of the prayers that we recite uh, in our minion service is Modim Anach Nulach. We give thanks. And it's a recitation of several prayers. Each prayer is then, each thing is then followed by Modim Anach Nulach. And my favorite part of the prayer is as follows. For high hopes and noble causes, for faith without fanaticism, for understanding of views not shared. Modim anachnu lach. And I think that's the best way I can come up with to start uh, the presentation for tonight, uh, for understanding of views not shared. In the spring of 2016, 
Uh, I participated in an interfaith journey to Israel, the West Bank, or occupied territory, depending upon your, your point of view, in the Aida refugee camp. For 12 days, we were led by both an Israeli Jewish guide and a Palestinian Muslim guide. Our small group was given dual narratives on the events, politics, history, and everyday life in Israel and Palestine. Our primary objective was to listen and learn with an open mind and an open heart. This was not a traditional trip to Israel, but a journey to places that few people see and meet with grassroots organizations and people who are in the forefront of seeking peace in the region and to see what the occupation looked like on the ground. Many walls separate Israelis and Palestinians. Walls of concrete, barbed wire, mistrust, ignorance, and fear. We were joined on the journey by Anne Maksud, who is a world-renowned producer of documentaries, and the film you're gonna see in a few minutes is a product of that journey and her work. Our group's goal was in part to scale some of the walls that we encountered. The movie itself has earned international acclaim and numerous awards. It is not a history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict since 1948. It is not that at all. With all of its moral complexities and tragic suffering on both sides, rather, it invites and challenges the viewers to question their own assumptions, their own beliefs, and their own prejudices. Both narratives that I heard on the journey, Muslim and, and, and Jewish, both narratives are authentic. By listening, we became aware of the human dimensions of the conflict, the moral complexity, the pain, and the possibilities. Moreover, by listening to it, we became a part of the story. Along the way, we met the founders or representatives, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, and Druze, of numerous peace-seeking organizations. Organizations such as Bustan Yaffa, which is a Jewish and Palestinian bilingual kindergarten Yaffa, it's operated by a Muslim and Jewish wife, uh, husband and wife. Simi and Mazin, they're an Israeli Jew and an Israeli Palestinian who are trying to promote tourism in the Galilee and together own kibbutz Inbar. Oded Ravivi, the mayor of the Yifrat settlement and close friend of Prime Minister Netanyahu. Ali Abu Abwad and Shaul Yudman of the Roots Project a joint Israeli-Palestinian initiative. We met with Physicians for Human Rights, an open clinic in Haifa, Adala, a nonprofit Palestinian legal aid center in Haifa, Ibrahim Ahmad Abu al-Hawa, founder of Jerusalem Peacemakers, Lydia Eisenberg of the Center for a Shared Society at Givat Haviva. We met with Rabbi Arik Asherman, who was at that time the head of rabbis for human rights. And he guided us through the tense Palestinian neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah in East, in East Jerusalem, where unprovoked and unannounced demolitions and evictions in Palestinian homes are a daily occurrence. Palestinian families are, without cause or forewarning, evicted from their homes, only to see right-wing extremist Jewish families move in. There are no secondary schools there in East Jerusalem. No parks, no street lights, no garbage cans. Building permits, if you can get them, take up to 10 years to get. 
and probably costs around $50,000. One of the truly disturbing fallouts from this is the creation of an entire generation of children that really have no childhood. As we stood in the street and listened to Rabbi Asherman, we were interrupted by a local young man who attempted to run us down with his motorcycle. He parked it, and before entering a residence, he spat at us and said that Hitler should have killed us. No, he was not a Palestinian. He was an Orthodox Jew. We spent an evening with Raul Elahim and Bassan Aramin, a Jew and a Muslim, who both lost adolescent daughters to either a Palestinian terrorist bombing or indiscriminate Israeli military shootings. They both now work for Parent Circle Family Forum, Develop Understanding and Peace. Finally, we spent time in the home of Sarah Silverman, board member of Women of the Wall, which was founded in 1988 to achieve social and legal recognition of the rights of women to wear talit and pray at the Kotel. We were scheduled to meet with representatives of Breaking the Silence, an organization of military, Israeli military veterans whose mission it is to educate Israeli public about the realities of everyday life in the occupied territories. But shortly before our visit, Breaking the Silence itself was silenced and barred by the Israeli government from entering Hebron to meet with us. A few observations before we show the film. The greatest experiment in the history of the Jewish people, the greatest, the creation of the state of Israel and a country I dearly love, has evolved into the oppressed becoming the oppressor and the relinquishment of the moral high ground. What began as an attempt to use the fruits of victory from the 67 war as a bargaining chip has grown into occupation, oppression, and colonialization. Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the occupied territory have lots of fences, separation walls, green walls, barriers, area B, A, area B, area C, but what it really needs is more bridges. As Thomas Friedman wrote in the New York Times, this isn't your mother's or your grandmother's Israel anymore. Since the 1967 war, both the occupied and the occupier have both become prisoners. To quote Ralph Waldo Emerson, when you put the end of a chain around the neck of a slave, the other end finds its way around your neck. The reality of the conflict today, in my opinion, is that a two-state solution is impossible to achieve. And frankly, I'm not entirely sure that either side wants one, because to do so would be to abdicate power, authority, influence, and status. The strategic placement of the vast network of settlements makes the creation of a contiguous Palestinian state just about impossible. Further, the honoring by Abbas and his Fatah party of terrorists killed in action and the money given to their families does not further peace in the hearts of Israelis. Neither side, Israel or Palestine, owns truth, and the right-wing zealots on both sides have become a cancer on the soul of a viable solution. The oppressive and almost impossible building permit requirements for Palestinians in the occupied territory and the shutting off of water supplies to punish entire neighborhoods of suspected or actual terrorists eats away at the moral and ethical fiber of the Jewish state and its Jewish values 
and are destroying the country from within in a way that a neighboring country could never do from outside. The use in any discussion of what might appear to be innocent words denotes telling positions and attitudes. The seemingly innocent use of words such as Israel, the Holy Land, Israel and Palestine, Palestine, Samaria and Judea, the occupied territory, Palestinian Israeli, or Israeli with Palestinian origin, all are charged words which frame any discussion and define the person using them, even though they may refer to the same area of land. Similarly, each major category in the conflict has untold numbers of subsets. Israel versus Palestinian, Jew versus Muslim, Fatah versus Hamas, rich versus poor, urban Palestinian versus rural, sedentary versus nomad, secular versus religious, Jewish-Israeli versus Arab-Israeli, Russian immigrant versus European immigrant versus African immigrant, Shoah survivors versus those born in Israel, Sephardic versus Ashkenazi, ultra-Orthodox versus everyone else, men versus women, the general workforce versus those who can't or won't work, and Palestinian Muslim versus Palestinian Christian. Archaeology also is used as a political weapon and creates a flashpoint if it is used to shape history in support of a political and religious view of who is entitled to what land. In addition, tourist maps and booklets are gradually being cleansed. Arabic references for certain sites are being eliminated. What is referred to by many as Al-Aqsa Mosque or Dome of the Rock is now referred to on many tourist maps as Temple Mount. Maps also add sites that are controversial, such as settlements in East Jerusalem, and make the tourist maps political weapons and one-sided. Palestinian communities like At-Atur, Wadi al-Joz, and Iswala do not appear but Jewish settlements like Malay Har Hazatim and Beit Arot are labeled with the Star of David. It is revisionist history at its best. Hebron was without question, and you will see this in the film, the most disturbing and fearful area we entered. There was more tension there than in any other area we explored, with barricaded streets, tear gas canisters everywhere, deserted shops, and over 2,000 Israeli troops protecting 300 settlers. If we feared it all for our safety, it was there. But it was not the Palestinians we feared. It was the anxiety and attitude created by the presence of the army and their weapons always in a firing position. This is what children are raised to understand is life on earth in the West Bank. They know nothing else and their home life breeds the violence and desperation we see and hear about with the resulting invisible wounds. So how did Israel get to where it is now? So many people stuck their knives into the peace process, but not one of them can be credited with dealing the mortal blow. Was it fanatical Jewish settlers determined to expand their footprint in the West Bank? Was it Hamas who devoted all its resources to digging tunnels to attack Israel from Gaza? Was it right-wing billionaires like Sheldon Adelson who used their influence in pocketbook to blunt criticism of Netanyahu? Was it Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas who sacked Salam Fayyad, the Palestinian Prime Minister who was dedicated to fight corruption 
and proving that Palestinians deserve to stay? Was it Prime Minister Netanyahu's lust to hold on to power grows year after year? Today's one-state reality, marked by settlement expansion, terror, and incitement, leads only to further bloodshed. But those of us who care about Israel and the Palestinian people are doing both a tremendous disservice by throwing up our hands and walking away from it. There will be no national home for the Jewish people or for the Palestinian people, and no democracy in one state between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean. There will only be civil war with both sides ingrained with their claim on victimhood. The only solution to the conflict is two states for two people. That there is no present path to that outcome is not a fact to be accepted. It must be, for each of us, a call to action. Jewish tradition teaches that despair is not an option, that despair is a cardinal sin. In confronting the realities of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Israel as a nation should not be confused with Judaism and Jewish values. It is possible to understand, respect, and love Israel, but not in a dogmatic or unthinking way and not in a fake or contrived Israel. It is possible to celebrate the Zionist miracle from its startups to its independence to Demona to the occupation while remaining affectionate, critical, realistic, and morally grounded. Are we content to simply know what we know? There is nobody so blind than when he is unable to see. There is nobody so dumb than when he refuses to speak. In closing, as we're about to show the movie, I want to quote from anthropologist Joe Roberts, who said the following. The identity of a nation is rooted in its collective memory, and the collective memories of peoples, like the private memories of individuals, often calcify around a remembered trauma. Understanding and acknowledging the wounds and scars of each other's histories is critical to any genuine reconciliation and peace. Uh, when we're done with the movie, it's 56 minutes long. Uh, we will, uh, uh, Rabbi Pierce will be joining me for a discussion on your, your feelings, your reaction. Wherever you are in the spectrum, I, I welcome it. So um, we will we'll take about 15 minutes for some um, questions and answers and discussion with Rabbi Pierce and Howard. Um, I just want to say that under the Emmanuel Dome, we honor all perspectives. And in this room, we want to be respectful of all perspectives. Um, this is not an easy conversation. It's not an easy topic. But I'm happy to take your comments and questions. But as long as everyone comes from a respectful um, and loving place. So I just want to say that out loud. Do you want to say anything? No, let's open it up to the audience. In the last scene, it seemed like the uh, Orthodox uh, were allowed to take over that home. Uh, who gave them permission? Is it the Israeli government? It, it's... Um 
it's basically a sometimes de facto, sometimes de jure policy of, of the Israeli government that that, enab that enables them to go, to go in there and, and claim it as their own. Um, it's um, it's multifaceted in terms of uh, of uh, the policies and procedures, and it's one of the things that. Um, is so hard to put your arms around and to see consistency. Uh, and then when you start to multiply this, and you saw it on the map in what part of the movie there where the settlements are, it's what I was referring to in my, in my opening comments about the fact that it's, the settlements are allowed to go in like that and it, fract and it fragments the land that is a subject of, of, of what's going on there and it makes a contiguous state of any sort Impossible. Impossible. And by the way, before I forget, I brought copies of the film. And so if anybody's interested in, in having a copy of it, uh, it's just it's just $25. It just covers the, co the cost from the producer. It, it all goes to the producer. It doesn't go to me. But I have them if you're, if you're interested later on. Yes? I'm a confirmant from Temple Emanuel. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a microphone. I'm a confirmant from here. Um, I think 54, when Fine and Heller were the rabbis. I am thrilled that this film was shown here. I'm an activist now living in the East Bay. I'm with Jewish Voice for Peace. And several of my um, fellow members were shocked that I would even come over here and, and watch this. And I thought, give them a chance. Thank you. I've been there twice. Um, the last time was last March and April. I volunteered at Al Rawad, which is in the Ida camp, and I worked with children there. So, and I st I lived in Bet Sohor for the two months. Mm -hmm. So, and I've been I spent a lot of time over there. Um, I love this film. Thank you. Okay. It Thank tells you. the truth. Our Palestinian guide is from that town. What Bet Sohor? Yes, that's where he's from. It's a suburb of Bethlehem. If you don't know. Uh, first of all, just to echo what you're saying, I think it took a lot of uh, courage on the part of uh, uh, Rabbi Singer, um, knowing that this is controversial. Um, the, the feeling that I uh, got in watching this and being part of the a trip was um, a quicksand, uh, that it, it, it was just not possible to have a very clear, clearly defined ways of viewing what was happening. There were rights and there were wrongs on, on, on all sides. But what was unique about this trip was it's not the typical, let's visit all the Jewish sites. And, and yes, uh, uh, over those walls, there are Palestinians living there. It really enabled people to get down, uh, down uh, uh, you know, on the floor with people and, and hear their stories. And, and then you can begin to uh, draw uh, your own conclusions from that, but, but Rabbi Singer helped support uh, this um, production, uh, at, you know, and a small a fund from uh, the Federation also made a grant to, to make this possible because we think it's important. Well, it's so hard in terms, you know, when it, it is a conflict, and uh, I'm friends with Arik Asherman, who was in the last, the rabbi was in the last part of the, the movie. And yet I know at the same time, I would love you to respond to the complexity. I know that those houses, some of them were purchased by, by people. The government didn't just say, oh, move in and take Arabs' homes. Uh, but they, they purchased the, the homes. Uh, there, there was a process there. 
And then I look at the wall and I think, ah, oh, gee, after all the bombing, I was there during the bombing where Israel tried to go in a different way. Uh, but the wall was put up to prevent that bombing, and maybe to establish a border. Should, should, from your perspective, should there be borders? Is the wall, in a sense, uh, not a, a positive thing to say, well, here's where we should end up? So I'd love to hear your responses. Should there be a, a wall, I mean, a physical wall? I mean, the idea of a border, ultimately that, yes, there should be a Palestine on the other side of that wall, so... Palestinians should be responsible for their own lives in their own land, as opposed to this idea that they can look to the other side. I, I shouldn't be able to move to Mexico or Canada without permission. That ultimately, don't we, if we believe in a two-state solution, don't we believe in borders? The, um, uh, the wall was definitely built for security. The, the bombings that were taking place uh, throughout Israel uh, were outrageous, and in fact, it worked. Um, Given the controversy in this country right now about walls, it's not clear, uh, you know, whether that's the best way to address uh, boundary violations, immigration. Uh, but in this case, it was for uh, absolute security, and and it did do the job. But it's still there now, and there were injustices. You know, land was split in half where people. One man said he had to travel two hours to get what would be, you know, ten minutes. Yes, in, in, some, in many cases, they, they, they certainly did. In, in, any, in any situation, there are always uh, justices and injustices that, that are, are done, and I think that part of what this trip uh, enabled people to see was it's not always so clear-cut. There are, there, there are gray areas. Yeah, hi. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this here. I'm also incredibly pleased and touched that it's being shown and it's being shown here. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about responses that you've gotten to showing it and how does it reach people? I mean, these are things I know about because I care about it and I educate myself. Yeah. But for many people who are seeing some of this stuff for the first time, how do you think, what happens? It's a wonderful question. Um, and it takes us tonight back to the comments I made before the movie when I saluted your rabbi for his courage. And that's what it is. It is courage to, hold, to be able to hold a forum like this. You have, no, you, you have no idea how much of an uphill battle it is. For An uphill battle. It is to have congregations open their doors and open their hearts to considering various points of view. Uh, it, it is without question maybe the most surprising part of this, of this journey, which began in March of 2016 and, and goes on today in my, in my life. Uh, I did not realize how difficult it would be to penetrate the, um, the congregation various points, points of view. They, I think they, they, many of them felt like they would be, as it was articulated in the film, traitors. Some of them felt like they may be working in perhaps their own best interest when it comes to maybe uh, members who are, who are um, pillars of their, of their congregation, and if they don't like it, then I can't do it. And, and 
and I'll, and I'll say for the fourth time, that's why I, 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 I salute you for what you did. I'm next. Um, thank you very much for making the film, for showing it. Um, uh, it didn't have news for me that I didn't know, but it certainly made it visually clear. Um, two thoughts, not really, one's a question, one's more of a comment. I noticed that the film and the trip itself focused on um, Israeli-Palestinians. And I wonder whether it is impossible, I'm comparing those Palestinians with the Palestinians who live in Gaza. And I'm wondering if it's possible to have any contact in this kind of trip with Palestinians from Gaza. So that's the question. The second is really a, a comment, maybe there's a question, and that is, how can we get past, as American Jews, the idea that to criticize the Israeli current Israeli government and its policies is anti-Semitic? Because in my judgment, it's not, um, nor is it un-American to criticize our government and those in power at this time. It is a question of politics and whose politics we want to believe in. But the general feeling in the Jewish community seems to be if you are criticizing the Israeli government, the current government, you're anti-Semitic. And it just seems ridiculous. So I'd like comments on those questions. If you're criticizing our government, are you anti-American? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you have I think to, this you is. Have to stay. Is this? A, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first of all, it's not possible to go into Gaza given the uh, the, the tensions there. So that that certainly was not a consideration, uh, even though it would be valuable to hear from some of the people who who live there. Um, you know, there's such a pastiche of, uh, of, of, of personality traits. Uh, in some instances, you could, you could sense the anger uh, that was behind, particularly in the, the legal center in Tel Aviv, um, the, the resentment uh, in other people. Uh, they, they just wanted to find a way to live their lives and, uh, uh, and not have to be uh, under the gun, so to speak, uh, and, and to have their children, they want the same thing for their children uh, that Israelis want for their children. And it's just unfortunate that it's so difficult to have a meeting of the minds. That is, Israel's work in progress, and um, and sometimes progress goes, uh, you know, off off the rails, uh, and and people try to bring it back. You know, we didn't even talk about the fact that liberal Jews in Israel do not have any religious rights. Uh, there was a reference to women of the wall. Um, Rabbi Beth Singer you know, was on one of the trips there to help make the case to have women have equal rights to worship uh, uh, at, you know, at the wall as men have, uh, and that still has not been resolved. So it, th th there are so many um, uh, layers 
to the problems. It, it, it would be nice if we could say, okay, well, you know, we've looked at this, here are the conclusions that we come to, uh, and, and here's how we solve the problems. You, just, you, you do f sort of feel like you're overtaken by, this, by the, the frustration of not knowing really how to solve this, what to do, how to go forward. I, I should also add to that that um, politically and therefore, and then systemically, Gaza is under control of Hamas and the West Bank is under control of Fatah. And they have very different approaches and it, it underscores what, 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 what my friend Rabbi Perry said about not being able to make any contact at all or get into uh, the Gaza territory whatsoever. Uh, my question is kind of utopian and dystopian, ironically, at the same time. I guess my question is, given a two-state solution, um, what is the guarantee that the new state doesn't wish to arm itself like Israel, to protect itself from being attacked by Israel? And then the utopian solution is why not internationalize the whole thing? <laughs> is, there, is there a guarantee? No. Is it, do we have a better alternative in terms of long-term pace? I don't see it. Um, there are so many variables to the possibilities of what could happen. A, and, I, and I'm just describing this off the top of my head as I stand here right now, you know, some sort of demilitarized area between, between two. There is talk that, that um, um, what we now know as the West Bank uh, would be in effect just become part of Jordan, uh, uh, which, which um, if you look at some of the earlier speeches of Netanyahu, his, and it changes once in a while, uh, his plan was to, 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 uh, to work towards a point where Jordan just, just took them in and that, that was going to be the end of it. So is there a guarantee? No. Uh, I, you know, I would, I would um, I'm a little more hopeful, actually, uh, and I always say follow the money. Uh, <laughs> the fact that the President of the United States has really now reduced the support for Palestinian causes uh, may well force people uh, uh, to the negotiation table. Uh, Arab nations that were um, strong supporters of maintaining the status quo and maintaining the heat uh, are now no longer so interested in doing it now that they recognize that terrorism is like a disease and it, and it spreads even into their own boundaries and borders. Uh, so the, 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 the game is changing, if I can call it a game, uh, and I am much more hopeful than I've ever been that it will be possible, again, follow the money, to use some of the funding that's been out there to create uh, a solution uh, and one in which uh, it is enforced by uh, the largesse of the nations that, that want to make it happen.
Rabbi, you were also, you took a, a, a journey into to that area th through, um, uh, yeah, uh, through Breaking the Silence. And I brought the, the article I referred to you yesterday, uh, Ariana made multiple copies of it from New Yorker magazine about, about uh, an experience uh, through that organization. So. Thank you very much for the film. Um, I found it incredibly moving. But what it made me think about was not Israel. What it made me think about is how the world now thinks of everyone else as the other, and that the other is unimportant mm. and can be done away with. And so it troubles me terribly um, to realize how severely it is in Israel, but it's just as severe in this country. And we have it all around us. We just have to look in the paper every day or listen to the news. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think we need to look at this in a wider scope and to consider who is the other in every situation. I was very moved from a personal viewpoint I spent a lot of time in Mississippi in the 1960s. This reminded me very much of what I saw every day there. Mm -hmm. And you know who the oppressed people were, and you know how little progress we have made. And seeing how the Palestinians were treated, it brought this all back to me. But I want to have hope. And I hear, and when I was in Israel in 2017, I went out of my, I, we met with Rabbi Asherman, and I, I went out of my way to meet with Palestinians, and, and all of them said, we like living with Israelis, we're, hap we're happy here, but we want our land back. We think we sh we're not treated well, and we should have our land back. How do we have hope? I hear the Palestinians say, stop sending arms here, St stop sending money here. Well, if we stop sending arms and money to Israel, we know what the rest of the Middle East is going to do to Israel. Should I be going to Israel? I go to Israel. I spend a lot of money there. Am I supporting this government and what they're doing? How do we, as individuals, make a difference? Do I meet with my legislators and tell them we have to make changes, we have to bring pressure on Netanyahu to make changes? What can we do? Uh, one of the common themes, and it's in response to your, to your question, common themes that I've heard in previous forums like this is that that, that goal that we, we all seek in terms of peace is never going to come from a top-down process. It's going to come from a bottom-up process. And what that means is it starts in rooms like this. And then exponentially, it's done again and again and again until after a while you look back and you see where you started and where you are now. But it has to start somewhere and it cannot start at the top. It's got to start at the bottom in order to get to where, where you're hoping to be. 
I do. I fully support. Uh, I said in the, early on, I support Israel. I do not support uh, BDS. I do not think that's the right the right way to approach it at all. Um, um, I I love the state of Israel. It's just that I think that dream is being tainted and po the poison that we had seven years ago. I've, I lose track of time. Um, Pardon? That's well, that was the, one of the points that uh, that Judith Taylor made in the, the film that Israel was the, the land. I remember when I was a child, I had an aunt and uncle that went to uh, Israel in the in the, uh, the 1950s, like 1953, and they sent me a postcard of an Israeli on a on a horse in a, a an orange orchard, and that was always my my view of Israel. You just none of what has bubbled up was really part of the whole uh, gestalt uh, of, of viewing Israel. So now it's all bubbled up and we have to figure out a way to try to move the fringes closer to the center. I mean, that's always the most difficult part. How do you get people? In, I always say that in any negotiation, you should always get some of what you want, but you should never get everything that you want. And, and then you know it's successful. So both sides are going to have to give up something uh, to get them to resolve this, this whole thing. Uh, my hope is that uh, one day this will just be a shadow of a, an unhappy time in the past uh, because there are so many factors out there that will change the world that these, con for example, borders don't mean that much anymore when you can fly across Israel in less than 20 seconds in, in a jet. So uh, w what is the point of... Of, of having these very strict borders when, when they don't mean anything anymore. That's one, I think, one of the issues that we're having in this country with the, with the border wall. Uh, will, will it do what the, the Maginot Line uh, did not succeed, uh, the Great Wall of China did not succeed in doing? Um, th there's got to be a different way, and hopefully uh, there are some smart people that are working on that. Um, I really appreciate what you just said about the fringes and, and moving to the middle. Um, and I think part of the problem is, is that people have such strong convictions, they don't think they're on the fringe, they think that they're right. And I, I take issue with some of the um, information in this movie, and I feel like it does the same thing. Like what Rabbi Singer said, it's very likely that Palestinian boy at the end, his family was renting that home, whoever owned the home sold it to the Jews because they gave him a good price, and they got evicted, and it was horrible. And that happens every day in San Francisco. You know, some owner of an apartment building says, my nephew is going to come live in your apartment, and you're now getting kicked out. That happened to me 20 years ago. Um, when that Palestinian talked about how many 900 and something Palestinian children have been killed, and there was no trial, which means it wasn't a crime, and the horror of that. It's absolutely not true. Palest I mean, excuse me, Israelis get in military, people in military are prosecuted all the time for, um, for hurting and or killing Palestinians, and it's horrible, and it's horrible whenever it happens, and it's horrible when, when American police kill black people also, and they don't stand trial, or they're found not guilty. It's horrific. And I think part of the problem is, is that people who, I, I love that people went and they saw things that they didn't see. And people who felt like 
you know, when I was raised, I, I was lied to, and now I saw the truth. That's fantastic. But if you say Israelis are murderers and they're not held to count, and all these horrible things happen, you're not going to get to the table. You're not going to get someone on the other side to have a conversation with you. They're going to say, you're crazy, you're extreme, I don't want to listen to you. And I think that we all need to recognize that we can support a two-state solution, and we can support Israel, and we cannot be happy with the Netanyahu government, and we can say that the government and the people of Israel do horrible things, but I don't think that makes Israel any different than any other country. And I think the intent of this film was fantastic, but I do think that there are a couple of, of comments in it. You know, the Holocaust is a cancer or tumor or, or you know, whatever. There are certain things that, that turn people off, and so I think that may be why some synagogues don't want to show this movie. It's not that they don't want to present that side, it's that there are some comments in there. When I saw those balloons being g going up, I think they were supposed to be with notes for people on the other side. I thought about now about how Palestinians are putting um, IEDs on balloons and sending them into Israel, hoping that a balloon and something shiny will attract an Israeli child who will then pick it up and get blown up. Okay. So, you know, so I just, uh, I'm going to stop now and, and please let you, let you comment. But I do want to say that there are people who, like myself, who are very strong Zionists. I went to East Jerusalem over the summer. I met with people, uh, Palestinians, doing great things. And I think we need to come more to the center. We need to not demonize the other side um, and to pull people in. Thank you very to, much. To be sure you understand, her, the congregations that did not want to show this movie never saw the movie. Yeah. No, no. What I'm what I'm saying is their decision was made without without previewing it. So therefore, they would. Pardon? Oh, they they the, uh, the the congregations who did not want to did not want to have an evening like this did not preview the movie at all. So they did not make a decision that was based on the quote uh, about the the Holocaust, the Shoah, or uh, or the balloons going up. It was made in a vacuum. I would just add to, uh, when I speak with my friends in the rabbinate, uh, they have said that they can't speak about Israel anymore because if they lean left, the people on the right go crazy and, and vice versa. And, and uh, it unleashes uh, a storm that is very hard to tamp down, which is one of the reasons that the approach of our, our rabbis of the congregation is to try to hear all sides. Just to, it's important to, to, you know, to understand what other people are thinking. And, and by way of conclusion, I, I think of Edward, Edwin Markham's poem, which goes something like this. Um, we drew a circle that shut him out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that pulled him in. And I think that, that becomes the, the issue. How do we draw those circles that, that get people? And this film was an effort, this trip was an effort to get down on the ground and hear what people had to say, and, and uh, it was a privilege to be part of it. So thank you all for coming tonight. Thank you, Rabbi Singer. Thank you, Ariana. And, and do spend a couple of minutes to watch these, uh, to see these remarkable photographs. This is such a, a fine photographer. You're welcome to schmooze out and grab some snacks Copies of the New Yorker magazine article are here for all of you. If you're interested in a copy of the film, I have them here. I have, copy. I have to run home. Yeah. Thank you for I've being run. here. That's your co Really? Two. This has been a gift. Yeah, well, I'm really, glad to have you and the wife here. Really, really. I oh. had a good community on that. that he, that's his department. I, 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 I,